we have some exciting news to share about Washington Post subscriptions and audio. If you are already a Washington Post subscriber, starting today, you can now get access to Washington Post podcasts ad-free in Apple Podcasts. And there are more audio perks around the corner. So connect your Post subscription in Apple Podcasts and stay tuned for more subscriber-only benefits, like exclusive and early access episodes. If you are not yet a subscriber to The Washington Post, this is a great time to start. You can get access to all The Washington Post has to offer, and now you'll also get ad-free podcasts and more premium audio perks. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or by following the link in our show notes. Hello, um, this is Wissam from Gaza, 20 years old. The situation in Gaza right now is miserable and bloody. Uh, yesterday, the Israeli army sent messages and threw posters ordering more than one million people in the north to evacuate and go to the south. Wassam Thabet recorded this voice message on October 14th, less than 24 hours after Israeli planes dropped leaflets over Gaza City warning residents to evacuate. Some people didn't believe that, and they said that it's a rumor or a lie, and others started to, to evacuate. Uh, they carried their emergency bags and buckets, then got in trucks and cars, and others fled on foot. Wissam stayed in Gaza City and is sheltering with seven of her relatives. There have been Israeli airstrikes nearby. It's a mis- it's a massacre. On Monday, we heard from Wassam again. She told us, I am physically good. But our follow-up messages with her are no longer going through. As the situation in Gaza continues to escalate, President Biden arrived in Israel today pledging support for the country, as he also described the horrific attacks by Hamas almost two weeks ago. We're going to make sure we have what you have, what you need to protect your people, to defend your nation. For decades, we've ensured Israel's qualitative military edge. And later this week, I'm going to ask the United States Congress for unprecedented support package for Israel's defense. He also pledged $100 million from the United States, to assist more than one million displaced Palestinians in this conflict. The people of Gaza need food, water, medicine, shelter. Today I asked the Israeli cabinet who I met with for some time this morning to agree to the delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza. But for civilians on the ground in Gaza, people like Wassam, they are stuck right now and not sure how or when this will end. I I really hope this ends as soon as possible. And I hope those who survive will undergo um, psychological treatment because we have simply all become mentally ill. Thank you for your listening to our miserable situation. Thank you. 
From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, October 18th. Today, the war between Israel and Hamas enters its second week. On October 7th, Hamas militants attacked dozens of border communities in Israel. They killed at least 1,400 people. And they took 199 people back to Gaza as hostages, Israeli officials said. In Gaza, roughly 3,000 people have been killed by Israeli airstrikes, according to Palestinian officials. I spoke with the Post's Gulf Bureau chief, Susanna George, who joined me from Jerusalem about the growing humanitarian crisis unfolding in Gaza and what all this uncertainty feels like for people on the ground. Susanna, can you tell us about the Israeli offensive in Gaza right now, and how is that impacting the people living there? Yeah, what we've seen is a really intense air campaign of airstrikes by Israel onto Hamas targets in Gaza, and that's been coupled with this strict siege of the Gaza Strip. Water has been blocked from being sent, electricity, food, fuel. And so those two things together are really what define Israel's military actions in Gaza at the moment. And what has the impact been on the people there? Can you just give us like a big picture view of that? Yeah, you've seen a few different things happen at the same time. Because of the siege, people don't have electricity. A lot of people who I'm trying to speak to over the course of a day, they don't get back to me for hours because they haven't been able to charge their phones. Some people tell me they have to walk to a hospital, you know, walk blocks to charge their phones using a hospital generator. You know, and also people aren't able to get fuel. Gas has been in short supply. A lot of people are stuck with just the food that they had, that they had at their houses when this war began. And um, we've seen that lines at bakeries are really long. And so there's a huge kind of humanitarian crisis that's just been caused by this siege of Gaza. And that's been coupled with the destruction and killing that we've seen from Israeli airstrikes on Hamas targets in Gaza. We've heard reports of many strikes that have killed entire families inside their homes. Israel has said that they are doing all they can to warn civilians to leave areas before they're intending to strike those areas. But they've also said, you know, we can't warn people all the time because they're trying to they're trying to take out as many Hamas leaders and members as they possibly can. And they said, sometimes if we were to warn people that a strike was coming, then we would lose sight of the target that we're trying to take out. And I understand that Gaza is very densely populated. What's the scope of the death toll so far? And what do we know? And and how do we know it? It is a very densely populated little strip of land up along the Mediterranean. What we know about the death toll is largely from the Ministry of Health, and that's a government ministry, so it's controlled by Hamas. What they have said is more than 3,000 people have been killed. That's more civilians than have, that have been killed 
in this operation in Gaza that have ever been killed by any previous Israeli military operation in Gaza. And that's important to note because, you know, we've heard a lot about a coming ground invasion. That's usually the most deadly part of Israel's military incursions into Gaza, and that hasn't even started yet. This is just the air campaign that we're all expecting is like the first step before a ground invasion happens. So we are still learning about the aftermath of a strike on a hospital in Gaza City on Tuesday. Palestinian authorities have said, you know, hundreds have died. What do we know right now at this point about this strike? Where did this take place? Where was this hospital? And what else do we know about who might be responsible? We know that the blast occurred at Al Ahli Hospital. We started seeing reports late Tuesday night. Al Ahli Hospital is in Gaza City. That's in the kind of the northern part of Gaza Strip. It's the main city in Gaza. And we know that hundreds of people have been killed. There's a disagreement. Palestinian um, officials are saying that an Israeli airstrike is responsible for the blast at the hospital. Um, Israel's military quickly responded that an Israeli airstrike was not responsible for the blast at the hospital and that it was instead a rocket that was being fired by Islamic Jihad. That's a smaller militant group that is operational in Gaza and that that rocket misfired and that's what caused the blast that killed hundreds of people. President Biden, when he arrived in Israel on Wednesday today, he said that he has seen Pentagon information that indicates Israel was not responsible for that blast. But, you know, information is still coming in on this incident. It's less than a day since it occurred. And lots of parties have not yet said who they believe is responsible for the blast. And do we know who was at this hospital when this when this took place? Just to get a sense of what was happening at this hospital when this happened. Yeah, we'd been hearing uh, from residents of Gaza City. And I'll just kind of back up a little bit because last week, Israel ordered, Israel's military ordered all residents of Gaza City and also some northern neighborhoods around Gaza City to evacuate to the south. And after this order came through, hundreds of thousands of people did evacuate to the south, but hundreds of thousands of people also stayed And we heard over the past few days from residents in Gaza City who decided to stay that hundreds of families were actually congregating around hospitals in Gaza City. People were really worried that after this mass evacuation order came down, that what was going to follow it was a real intensification of Israeli airstrikes on Gaza City. And so the families who stayed, not all of them, but many, they felt like it would be safer if they sheltered in and around hospitals because they felt like they would be less likely to be hit. So that was the scene at Al Ahli Hospital last night when this blast occurred. So hundreds of families were in the parking lot and the courtyard area near the hospital. And we believe that those people make up most of the dead and wounded. After the break, more on Israel's call to evacuate northern Gaza and how the United States is responding to this crisis. We'll be right back.
This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. So Israel called for the evacuation of more than a million people in northern Gaza last week, ahead of what many assumed was a potential ground invasion. And a lot of us heard this 24-hour notice, this deadline, and assume that after 24 hours, attacks in Gaza would intensify. Susanna, what did this evacuation look like on the ground in Gaza? That first call for the evacuation, uh, Israel's military says that they didn't actually give that 24-hour window, that that was actually something that came out from another party. Hmm. What we do know is that the day after that, Israel's military announced that there was another window um, where people would be able to evacuate safely from the northern parts of Gaza Strip to the south along two main highways that run north to south along Gaza. And then the day after that, another window was announced for just one of those highways. Israel's military is really trying to encourage as many people as they can to move out of those areas to the south. They've said that that is in advance of what they call enhanced military activity. Um, We don't know exactly what form that will take because hundreds of thousands of people have stayed in Gaza City in the north, and we haven't gotten any indication from Israel's military that that next phase of operations has begun. And what has the international community said about the evacuation order that Israel put out? Well, we saw initially widespread condemnation from aid groups, from human rights groups, uh, even Israeli human rights groups, about this evacuation order. But what the United Nations has said recently is that this could be in violation of international law. And the reasoning that they gave is because Israel has asked these people to leave, and you know this is over a million people, to leave the, these areas of Gaza City and the northern neighborhoods for the south, but has done nothing to provide people shelter and food and water and resources in the place where it's telling people to move to, that that could be what makes this a violation of international law. The people in Gaza that you've been able to communicate with, what have they told you about how this evacuation has unfolded for them and also this decision around whether to leave or not leave either northern Gaza or try to leave Gaza altogether? I spoke to people at lots of different stages of these evacuation orders, people who had just received the orders and were still trying to make up their mind about whether or not to go, people who had 
were in the process of leaving and also people, I reached people after they had fled to the South and everyone expressed a common concern. They were worried that if they leave their homes in Gaza City in the North, that they're never going to be able to return, uh, that, they're, that they will live the rest of their lives as people displaced from their houses. And just to give this a bit of context, you know, for lots of Gazans, property and home ownership, like that's where a lot of your savings, you know, oftentimes savings that's been passed down from your family, uh, from your parents to you. Um, I spoke to one young couple that just got engaged. Their entire savings for their life together as a couple was in their house in Gaza City. So it's not just a place to live. It really is for a lot of Gazans who had to leave their homes. It's their future. And so a lot of people expressed to me that they were very uncertain about not only how this war was going to pan out, but also about their own personal futures and all the plans that they made for that. And it also does make me think about the future of Gaza. And it's an impossible question maybe right now, but but what does it mean for the future of this place if so many Palestinians are displaced and have to leave? We don't know the answer to that, but that is certainly the undercurrent of a lot of conversations that I have with people from officials, Palestinian officials in Gaza, to civilians who are just trying to keep themselves and their families safe. People are wondering, you know, will Gaza continue to exist in the form that we know it now after this military operation is complete? Susanna, what have humanitarian groups said about the unfolding situation in Gaza? It seems like every day there's a new cause for alarm about the humanitarian situation in Gaza. Water is running out. Lots of people are going to be without water. We've already heard reports of people being forced to drink well water that's um, not properly treated, that could be making lots of people sick. Uh, hospitals that have not had electricity for days are dangerously low on generator fuel. And if you think about, you know, babies in incubators, patients who have to be on ventilators, none of that can happen without electricity. There's also food shortages for lots of people. And there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who've been forced from their homes. A lot of those people are staying at schools that have been converted into shelters, but they're aren't enough shelters to accommodate all those people. So humanitarian groups are incredibly concerned about all of this and more. And they're calling for a corridor to be opened with Egypt. But the discussions around that, they involve a lot of different parties. They're very complicated. They haven't been able to make progress yet. Hmm. So there's, there's not a clear, safe passage through Egypt at this point. No, and that humanitarian corridor, just to be clear, it would only be for humanitarian goods coming in to the Gaza Strip from Egypt. It wouldn't necessarily also be for people leaving, but we have heard separately there have been discussions with the United States to find a way to allow American citizens, because there are American citizens inside Gaza, to allow mm -hmm. them out ahead of an intensification of the violence there. Mm -hmm. And what have Israeli authorities said 
about the impact these strikes are having within Gaza and what humanitarian aid groups are warning about. Israel's military has been very clear. Their objectives in this war against Hamas are to prevent Hamas from ever being able to wage an attack on Israel like the one that Hamas waged on October 7th. And when asked about civilian casualties from airstrikes, often what Israel's military says is, listen, you know, this is Hamas's fault. They're the ones who've embedded themselves and their military operations in the civilian infrastructure of Gaza. We would much rather fight them, fight Hamas in a place where there aren't any civilians, but this is where Hamas has decided that they will fight us from. So we've been forced to bring the battle to them in Gaza. You know, anytime that the IDF is asked about civilian casualties from airstrikes or the heavy use of air power in a densely populated place like Gaza, they are very explicit that this war is being waged in accordance with international law. You know, Susanna, it feels like for many of us watching this, even from afar, There is so much uncertainty, like many had anticipated eventually a ground invasion. But I can't imagine what this feels like for people living through this conflict. Do we know what could happen next? And how are people there thinking about that right now? Yeah, it definitely feels for many people that we're in a bit of a wait and see moment for what comes next militarily. You know, Israeli military officials have said that this next phase of the operation, and it is important to remember that Israel's military has not said explicitly that a ground invasion is coming as the next phase of of operations against Hamas in Gaza. Uh, What they have said is that what comes next could be surprising to some people, you know, adding even more uncertainty as people try to kind of game out what is going to happen next. But what does seem to be the case is that whatever does happen next and after that, that we're in for a very long conflict here. You know, Israel has massed thousands of troops along its border with the Gaza Strip. They've called up record numbers of reservists. So wherever this military operation is going, this is going to be a long-term effort. Susanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. Susanna George is the Post Golf Bureau Chief. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Eliza Dennis. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Monica Campbell. Thanks to Kate Brown, Sarah DeDouche, Reem Akkad, Louisa Lovelock, Ariel Plotnick, and our intern, Trinity Webster-Bass. If you want to show your support for our show, please subscribe to The Washington Post. It's a great way to back the work we do. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.